Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students and physicians in training, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. I'm your host, Avash Kalra. Coming up on today's show, we kick off Season 12 of Radio Rounds with our first in our series from the Telluride Experience for Emerging Patient Safety Leaders. You'll hear from Sarah, a resident physician who faced safety and quality issues head-on when her newborn child became ill in the hospital. Because I was just concerned and went up to the NICU and asked the nurse, you know, how things had been going. And she said, fine, except for when, you know, he stopped breathing, which prompted me to, to ask when that happened and how that happened. Because I was very surprised that if that did happen, I hadn't heard about it. So her response was that, well, when they performed the lumbar puncture, oh he um, stopped breathing because they sedated him. And so I was very surprised by that because the last I'd heard that was something they were considering, but that they hadn't definitely decided on. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm your host, Avash Kalra. And it's a pleasure to be back with you as we kick off Season 12 of Radio Rounds. Now, for those of you listening for the first time, we want to tell you right off the bat that our goal for the show today and in future episodes is to bring you frontline conversations with physicians, patients, healthcare leaders, and others in the world of medicine, specifically to focus on the humanistic aspects of medicine. At the end of our show today, we'll tell you about all the ways you can listen to upcoming and past episodes. Now, during our episodes, you'll hear common themes such as the art of medicine, global health, health policy, medical education. But today, we return to the important topic of patient safety. Our own Lakshman Swami, who, like me, is an internal medicine resident physician, traveled to Telluride, Colorado, a beautiful town on the western side of Colorado, and there he spoke to Sarah. You heard her briefly in the opener today. She's a resident physician who is interested in focusing on safety issues as part of her career as a surgeon. And as she tells us, just hours after the birth of her newborn child, she was faced with many important safety and quality issues herself, an experience that truly hit close to home. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm here in Telluride, Colorado, at the Telluride Patient Safety Roundtable. And across the uh, table from me here is Sarah, a surgery resident at a hospital in the Midwest. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I'm a general surgery resident who um, has an interest in quality and patient safety. And my interest in quality improvement and patient safety stems from some research that I've done at my institution. Um, I started my research time looking at institutional outcomes, including things like complications, uh, readmissions, and mortality in some of our cancer patients. And that work really led me to try to identify areas where we could make changes that would actually improve those outcomes in our patient population. And how has doing that work been? Um, it's been really rewarding and um, interesting. I've learned a lot about how to implement quality improvement and change things at our institution. I've also had the opportunity to get involved with our resident quality and safety committee to try to better inform residents how to um, obtain resources for doing quality improvement work, um, where they can display their work both at conferences and in research journals, and also just empowered residents to start up some of their own projects. 
you're clearly working very hard taking care of patients in the, in the clinical sense, right? Day in and day out, you're taking care of patients, you're operating on them, you're watching them post-op, all of that stuff. Why is it that you're doing this in addition? I mean, uh, is, this giving, is this making you feel like you're helping them in some other way? What, what, what's the reason? Yeah, it really makes me feel, I feel like as a surgical resident, you can help one patient at a time, but I feel like by making institutional changes, um, we can help multiple patients and help patients that maybe won't come to our institution for years and years after I've been gone. Now, Sarah, I understand that you, you know, totally separate from your role as a, as a physician, um, you unfortunately had a pretty scary incident yourself with your baby. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened? Sure. When my son was born, he was full term and there were no real concerns about his health. Um, and I had a relatively normal labor. But when he was born, he just didn't quite look right. He needed a little of oxygen. He was a little bit, his tone wasn't great. He was a little bit floppy. And so I was told that he would need to be observed in the NICU for a short period of time just to make sure everything was okay. Um, and then my husband and I met with the NICU team once I was um, stable enough to leave my hospital room. And there was a pretty scary differential that included things such as meningitis, ischemic brain injury, just a whole gamut of things. Um, and they didn't quite know what was going on. So can I just take a second, and I, I know this, this is probably very difficult, uh, but you know, especially as a new parent myself, I can only imagine, but can you just tell us a little bit about, as, as kind of a patient family member, what was going through your head when you're hearing all these really scary things? Right. So I think that my mind immediately went to like the worst case scenario when they said things like ischemic brain injury and hypothermic cooling. I just imagined the worst possible thing. And um, it was also difficult being someone from a medical background, trying to explain that to my family, my husband, because I felt like um, there was a huge burden placed on me to kind of be the person who translated that information. A pretty unique burden because not only are you the one who's kind of really at the point of this taking in all this information, really suffering and dealing with it, but then you're also asked by your, you know, your husband and your family to translate that on. I think it's it's a very difficult and unique burden that kind of providers can face when they're in that role. Yeah, I agree. So what what happened next? You're starting to hear these scary things. Yeah, so they didn't quite know what was going on, and they were going to monitor him for the evening, and um, they had told us about some tests they were considering, things like MRI, LP, um, and some different things. But they, they were kind of trying to sort out some details first. So they actually told us that we'd been up for a couple of days straight, that we should actually go get some sleep. So that's what we did. And this is, again, this is right after you've just given birth, too. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm sure you were incredibly exhausted. Right. Yeah, we were really tired. So you go to sleep in the... Um, in the maternity ward, I'm mm -hmm. assuming. Um, what happens then? So I got up a few hours later um, because I was just concerned and went up to the NICU and asked the nurse, you know, how things had been going. And she said, fine, except for when, you know, he stopped breathing, which prompted me to, to ask when that happened and how that happened. Because I was very surprised that if that did happen, I hadn't heard about it. So her response was that, well, when they performed the lumbar puncture... Yeah he um, stopped breathing because they sedated him. And so I was very surprised by that because the last I'd heard that was something they were considering, but that they hadn't definitely decided on. Now, you know, as, as a provider yourself, sometimes, sometimes I think things do move quickly and you know that you need to kind of take action. But what were you feeling when you found out that, you know, your, your newborn child, just all this had happened and you had no idea? Yeah, I, just, I think I was really surprised, first of all. And then I think... Um, 
I just had a deep sense of mistrust of the team because um, they knew that I was in the building. They knew that I was incredibly interested in knowing all the details, and they had moved forward um, both with a procedure and also with sedation without actually speaking to me about it. I think that this, you know, to, to kind of take a step back and be a little academic about it, this really brings up the issue of kind of informed consent, right? How did you feel about informed consent in this case? So I felt, I mean, in this case, informed consent was really not performed at all. Um, and I feel like a lot of the times as busy practitioners, we do a poor job of performing informed consent. Um, but it should be. It should occur, definitely, and it, it should be done in a thoughtful um, way that patients understand what patients and families understand what the procedure is, what the risks and benefits are, what the alternatives are, and have time to ask any questions. And I think a lot of times we take for granted that medical profession professionals totally understand all of that. And so I think that that might have played into it, but I also think that in those cases we might also have to give more information because, well... Um, we're all we've all gone to medical school and we all have the same similar base of knowledge we're all now very specialized and so i think you can't make any assumptions about someone's prior level of uh, knowledge about a procedure so you're hearing this from the nurse we i think we're getting an idea of what's going through your head what happens next so next um now he's started on antibiotics for presumed meningitis while we await the test results and so I essentially moved into the NICU because I have i didn't really know what would happen if I wasn't there. So I spent the next two weeks actually living in the NICU in his room. And um, he had two subsequent LPs, both without sedation and did completely fine. Um, we never were able to nail down an exact diagnosis. So we spent two weeks on antibiotics. So you, you stayed in the NICU for two weeks. Now, you know, Patient family members often stay in the rooms, especially when it's when it's kind of a maternity situation. Um, this was a little different, though. It sounds like you know being in the NICU. What was what was that experience like being in the NICU? Uh, was it was it just your child in the room? Mm-hmm. Well, initially, so the first few days I was in the NICU, there were um, it was my child and another newborn baby in the room. So I think that added another layer of uh, difficulty because first of all there's another family that's constantly trying to see their child and second of all I was sleeping there so I was probably even more sleep deprived than a regular new mom because not only was there um, a nurse and my baby wake you know waking up multiple times a night but there's another baby waking up multiple times a night so the first few days I became even more sleep deprived and then um, once we got our own room that improved a little bit but um, as you can imagine with nurses coming in constantly 24 hours a day, it's just, it kind of drains you. I think, I think certainly the context is, is really difficult to imagine being able to even think clearly. Uh, and yeah, and on top of that, you're worried about your child. And, and, on top, and this is all in the setting of you just having delivered as well. So I mean, certainly you were under a lot of stress. So how did that affect your, you know, we, a minute ago, we were talking about your role as this sort of provider who's, who's translating this information. Um, you know, I, I think no question you're being a spectacular mom, right? I think that anyone would say that that's incredible. But um, what happened in that sense of you being the kind of knowledgeable translator? Mm-hmm. I think the other issue that I haven't talked about is, so I delivered on a Thursday afternoon. So the provider in charge of my son's care was there Thursday night and Friday 
a new provider came on for Saturday and Sunday, and another new provider came on for Monday. So every few days, the plan changed. So first, we were going to be there for five to seven days, and then the next provider told us we'd have to be in the hospital for three days, and then the provider who came on Monday told us we'd have to be in the hospital for two weeks. So there was kind of this building frustration with my husband and I not knowing the plan, not knowing what the real diagnosis was. And so my husband would actually... Uh, go home because we have dogs that he needed to take care of. So he would go home in the evening and stay at our house at night, and he would spend his evenings reading about the diagnosis criteria for meningitis and what antibiotics should be used. And he would spend a lot of time emailing me these articles while I'm trying to take care of my baby and sleep in the NICU. And so I, I felt kind of incompetent as a physician because I was unable to read or process that information to try to both help him as a partner in trying to figure out figure this out, but also to advocate for my child from a medical perspective to make sure that they were doing the right thing. It sounds like you you were putting a lot on yourself. Yeah, I would say so. I can't even begin to picture how stressful that was. It it was, but I think um, to look at the bright side of it, I think it gave me a perspective of what patients and family members go through, because I at least understand how hospitals work. I understand the hierarchy. I understand all the members that are coming into the room day and night and what their role is. Um, And I also understand the medical jargon. Um, So for me to feel so powerless and helpless in that situation really struck home for me how patients must, must feel when the whole environment is just alien to them. So, you know, I'm going to, this may be kind of a hard question, but while this is all going on, looking back, can you put yourself in those provider's shoes? Um, what do you think that was like? Yeah, I mean, I could tell that I was probably treated a little differently because they knew I was a physician. Um, but I think that one thing that they did really well was they um, had patient family rounds every day. So every day, all of the providers, the nurse, the attending, the residents, the pharmacist, the medical students would all come into our room and rounds would happen with us in the room. And so um, I know this has come up a lot at this conference that the patient and family members are the only constant and they actually know the most about what's going on. But I actually would listen to rounds every day and then add my own two cents or correct things that were inaccurate. So one thing that was really beneficial to me, and I think that would be beneficial to other families, was this ongoing discussion every day with the patient and family. We, talk, we mentioned earlier your, this idea of trust and how your trust really was kind of shattered uh, when, that, when you first found out that these things happened in those few hours that you were not with your child. How did your trust kind of evolve as you know, new doctors are coming in and going out and the plan is changing? Um, it sounds like you were trying very hard to kind of be a part of that discussion. It sounds like they were doing a decent job involving you. How did your trust change through all this? Yeah, so I think despite their effort to involve me and to keep me up to date, I was really reluctant to leave the room. So um, you can't eat or drink anything other than water in the NICU. So I had to leave three times a day to eat. Um, But I would wait until I had a family member or my husband there. And then I think once we had the provider who came on Monday after a few days, I developed enough trust that I could actually like leave the building to get a meal or, you know, take a long shower or do something for myself. But it took me a significant amount of time. And then I made it very clear when I was leaving that I wanted to be called with any changes or any procedures. And I think it's just so sad and so striking that the trust was so, so affected that you literally didn't know, I think, that they would do something to your child without without you being there. 
yeah, I think that was the most surprising thing to me. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your, your story. I know it's very I know it's a very hard story. Can we take a second and can I ask you how's your son doing now? Oh, he's doing great. He's um seventeen months old and he's um your typical little boy. He's running around and playing in the dirt and learning to talk, so he's doing very well, but thanks for asking. Great. Well, you know, I'm I'm glad that we that we kind of have at least you know, a nice story to end on. But um it's 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 a it's a very scary situation. It's horrific from from you know my perspective as as a provider hearing this. Uh, I know I must put through patients to do similar things, uh, you know, without even knowing yet. So I think all of our listeners can hopefully take a step back and think about that. But also as a, as a new parent myself, I mean, I, I it's hard for me to even imagine that kind of situation. So thanks so much for sharing it. I know I know it's very difficult. Oh, you're welcome. Well, that was certainly a, a riveting conversation, again, between Lakshman Swami and a surgery resident named Sarah, whom Lakshman met recently in Telluride, Colorado. Now, there's really a lot that we can, I think, all take away from that conversation. As a physician, it's an important reminder of the perspective of patients and their families when we take care of their loved ones in the hospital. It's a reminder that at the heart of what we do as physicians, really a big part of the art of medicine, is developing an effective therapeutic relationship with a patient. It's obviously unfortunate, in a way, to hear Sarah's experience, that mistrust that she talked about, the feeling that she didn't know what was going to happen if she wasn't there in the room, and that frustration with not knowing the plan. But at the same time, I think as those of us in the medical profession reflect on our own experiences, there are times when those things happen, hopefully unintentionally, but we do need to be aware of not only the legality, obviously, of obtaining informed consent for procedures and so forth, but also our approach on a daily basis with patients. Are we involving them? Are we ensuring the highest standard of safety? These are important issues to think about. And as resident physicians in training, we think about those issues a lot. Now, again, thanks to Sarah for offering her personal story. We'll have more this season from Lakshman and his experiences at Telluride, more interviews focusing on quality improvement and safety. Again, that's from the Telluride experience for emerging patient safety leaders. And we certainly look forward to that. Now, in the meantime, remember that you can download podcasts of all of our past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit www.radiorounds.org. Again, that's www.radiorounds.org. Now, you can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at Radio Rounds. And again, all of that information is on our website, radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, sponsored by the American Medical Association, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. And of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds. Now, thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. We hope you have a great week and join us next time. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Abash Kalra, and one day, I'll be your doctor.